0: There are people who, intentionally or not, maliciously or not, are out to spiritually ruin you. Sometimes, that person is a deceptively dangerous false teacher. And other times, the person who is most dangerous to you is you in self-deception. Much like someone who is driving a car is at risk of being hit by another driver and at risk of falling asleep at the wheel. Both external and internal dangers are very real. And either one can lead to disaster. So, this morning, I want us to figuratively buckle our seatbelts and drink some caffeine as Jesus sounds an alarm for us on both dangers, outer and inner deception. Right? Jesus wants us to be aware of these things and to beware them because he loves us and he wants the best for us. Like we just saying, he is the tender shepherd. He's gentle, lowly. He loves us. He cares for his sheep. And so he needs to sound the alarm at times. So let's turn together to Matthew 7 to hear his words to us today. Matthew chapter 7. Most recently, in this sermon on the Mount of Jesus, we read of him giving his disciples the golden rule "Do to others as you would have them do to you, and then emphasizing that he was the only way, the narrow way into God's kingdom. And in this, we saw that that both the way to live and the way to life are found in Jesus. Now throughout these chapters though, there is a continual theme of keeping our eyes on the future. That this life, right now, is not all there is. There is a judgment day. There is life after death. And death after death. And we need to live our lives now fully in light of that eternity that is coming. And that's what makes people who twist God's word so dangerous. Because eternities are at stake. It's not an exaggeration at all to say that this can be a matter of life and death. And therefore, Jesus continues preaching in verse 15 of chapter 7. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I mean, that's a deadly picture, right? If you saw a nature documentary about a pack of wolves decimating a flock of sheep, ravenous, ferocious, vicious wolves versus slow, stupid, defenseless sheep. It'd be a bloodbath. The kids would all be screaming or crying, turn it off. That's the picture that Jesus uses to illustrate how dangerous certain people are to our faith. Except, even worse than that, these are wolves that don't appear to be wolves. They pretend to be sheep. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, you wouldn't see that exact picture out in nature. But Jesus says we will see this happen amongst his people. There will be those who appear to be believers on the outside, but really they're in disguise. If only we could see inside of them, we would see how they could destroy us. They're not just dangerous, but dangerous and deceptive. They are people whom you never imagine would be false teachers. Their teaching appears sound enough. They seem to say a lot of good things, all the right things. They they may talk about Jesus. They may preach the Bible. Anything false is just so subtle. Jesus calls them false prophets here. In other places in the New Testament, they're called false teachers and false apostles. Same difference. They're, They're leaders in the church, pastors, Elders, teachers, professors, authors, speakers, who both claim and appear to be good Christian people, good shepherds in the flock, but in truth, they are false. They're wolves. They're they're false in teaching or doctrine or character or in fruit. Of course, they don't advertise or announce this. They'll claim to teach the truth. And I believe they may sometimes be unknowingly or ignorantly false. But often by the time their true character is discovered, it's too late and the damage has been done. Now you might think I'm exaggerating the danger here. That the harm that they can do can't be that severe. But not if I'm reading the emphasis of the Bible correctly. Did you know that 25 out of 27 books in the New Testament. And every single New Testament author warns us about false teachers. It's true. In one of those passages, Acts 20, Paul warned people near and dear to him. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. This is going to happen. And if the danger was this high in Bible times... Imagine how much higher it is now when we have almost unlimited access to every teacher or pastor under the sun. So may we be ever on our guard. Who are we following, listening to, reading, watching? Beware, because your, your very soul and your eternal destiny may be at stake. So take it seriously. Do not think that someone is good, a, a good teacher based on how many followers or likes they get or how many views their vid- videos get or how many books they sell. Do not be dazzled by someone's charm, wit, humor, cleverness, or eloquence. Because those could just be Part of their outward clothing to convince you that they're all right. Do not be persuaded because someone has impressive degrees or doctorates or positions. Do not assume that every pastor out there is actually a true pastor, in other words, a good shepherd. No, we must always try to look beneath the appearance to the reality. And it can't be mere coincidence that Jesus talks about these false prophets right after talking about the wide and narrow gates and the easy and hard ways. Because the most significant issue that false teachers blur the lines on is salvation and the gospel. Some will make Jesus harder to find by distorting or confusing or compromising the gospel. Some will decry the narrow way as not actually that narrow, not that costly. Maybe even claiming that there is more than one way to God or heaven or to life. Some will demand more than the faith alone that Jesus demands to be saved. So that people are crippled by man-made rules or legalism. Others will diminish rightful moral standards that Jesus did establish so that being saved doesn't require any change in lifestyle. And some will downplay the reality and the stakes of eternity, thereby leading people towards the destruction they may claim doesn't even exist. You might think, all right, so how do we tell if someone's a wolf in sheep's clothing? If they're deceptive and in disguise, it can't be easy to do, right? Well, I'd first recommend that we really need to be steeped in the truth ourselves. Remember, the the best way to identify counterfeit money is to study the real thing. So the more you know the truth of God's word, the more it permeates your thinking, the better you will be at identifying when things are false around you. But while that's true, I think think it's sound biblical advice, that's not Jesus' main thrust here. When we ask Jesus here, how do we recognize if someone is a true or false prophet or a true or false teacher? He says... To watch their lives. Watch their lives. Watch their conduct. Watch their character. Because while people may be able to say all the right things for a while, they cannot really live the right way indefinitely if things are, are not right on the inside. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. And with that, Jesus switches metaphors. From animals to plants. And we may sometimes be able to mistake a wolf for a sheep, but we cannot ultimately mistake one tree for another kind of tree once it bears fruit. We know what it is. As John Stott comments, no tree can hide its identity for long. Sooner or later, it betrays itself by its fruit. And here's the the big idea Jesus is giving us here, all right? The fruit of people's lives reveals who is or is not safe to trust. Okay, the fruit that grows in people's lives, especially in leaders' lives here, reveals who is or is not safe to trust. Again, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. For example, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer is no. You don't find good fruit like grapes or figs growing on bad plants like thorn bushes or thistles which just so happened to be the two plants that accompanied the curse in Genesis 3. Thorns and thistles. For North Americans, this might sound something like, is broccoli ever gathered from stinging nettle? Or romaine lettuce gathered from poison ivy? Of course not. Jesus is saying that Eventually, the truth of someone's heart will reveal itself. They may pull their wool over our eyes for a little while, pun intended, but a person cannot hide who they really are forever. Their fruit blossoms, their, their character, their actions, and their motives eventually come Verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Now, that might not sound demonstrably true to you. Essentially, Jesus says that if someone's a thorn bush, we're going to get thorns from them. It seems like we often find pretty mixed fruit in people, right? Some good, some bad. In fact, that's why some are so convincing as sheep. Because people do see good in them. Like, can a a false prophet really never bear any good fruit? And for that matter, many good teachers still have flaws and sins they struggle with. Look at any non-Jesus leader in the Bible, and that becomes patently obvious. So, what do we make of this? Like, Is this really true? Well, I, I think we first have to ask, what qualifies as good fruit? What qualifies as good fruit? because we may be mistaking things for good fruit that really aren't good fruit at all. Someone's church may be massively popular, explosively growing, but that definitely isn't the fruit Jesus is talking about here. Someone may be really, really nice on the outside, but have a rotten interior, Like, being nice, or friendly, or funny, or brilliant, you will not find in the fruits of the Spirit. Even something like bringing people to the Lord isn't necessarily good proof, because that's a heart change in someone else's life, not their own. And so what is good fruit? Well, it's the, it is the fruit of the Spirit. It's fruit that comes from the heart. It's, it's Christ-likeness, really, being like Christ. It's, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And not just one or two of those things, but growth or maturity in all of them. And not as the world defines those things, but as God's Word defines them. It's also fruit that lasts or endures or abides like Jesus describes it in John 15, 16. And thus, we have to watch for this fruit. Will it develop? Watch for, for genuine and lasting good fruit of the Spirit in someone's life. There's a sense in which Jesus, I think, is using some hyperbole here. That this You just can't ever bear bad fruit or bear good fruit. And he does this in order to point us to eternity again. Because true fruit is fruit that lasts into eternity. And if someone doesn't bear true good fruit, they will be judged accordingly, he says. In verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. The fact is that the people, like the fact that people can hide their true character And appear to bear good fruit is basically the point of the sheep's clothing metaphor. Right? The truth can be disguised, at least for a while. But ultimately, it cannot be hidden, especially in eternity. As Martin Lloyd Jones explains, there is an indissoluble link between belief and life, the nature will out. That which a man is, ultimately in the depths, is always going to reveal and manifest itself, and it does so in belief and life. These two things are indissolubly linked together. As a man thinks, so eventually he is. As a man thinks, so he does. In other words, we inevitably proclaim what we are and what we believe. It does not matter how careful we are, it is bound to come out. Nature must express itself. And I'd add, even if it's hidden for many years. So what does that mean? Can we not tell if someone is legit until eternity? No. Maybe sometimes. But not usually. Most often, it will be exposed in this life. I can think of, sadly, I can think of Multiple teachers or pastors who have proven this point true in the last few years. So sobering. Think of the the mega church pastor who wrote best-selling Christian books that I liked too, who showed his true colors when he abandoned his faith. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Or the powerful preacher, popular, who who appeared to preach the gospel for years, but was then exposed as angry, abusive, and controlling for years. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Or the many pastors who have have seemed to have highly successful ministries and churches only, but it turns out they were hoarding extravagant wealth in huge mansions. It's like they have more than one master, and thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Or the brilliant apologist, who many claim and who are credit with helping strengthen their faith in Christ, only for a pile of scandalous sins to be exposed after he died. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. There are many more. Fruit takes time to grow. Part of the point of the image is that we might not know for a while, but we will know eventually. And Jesus wants us to recognize it sooner rather than later. So watch for the fruit. Watch for it. By all means, watch for it in me or in Pastor Kenny or your elders here. Not so you get nitpicky with us or or don't have grace with us where we still need to grow but so you can trust us with the care of your souls. We want you to trust us. We will answer to God for the way that we care for your souls. And I pray that we would be entirely safe leaders whom you can trust over the long haul. But also, carefully watch for the fruit in other leaders that you're listening to or learning from. Whether in other churches, churches, or on YouTube, or social media, on podcasts, on so-called Christian television, or on Christian radio, books, on blogs. Pay attention, on one hand, to to what they're teaching. Compare it to God's Word. Not to be overly suspicious, or to be a heresy hunter, or discernment blogger, but in order to ensure that you are faithful to God's truth. And as much as you're able, pay attention as well to their character, to their conduct, their behavior, and compare it to the behavior and character of Christ. This is not easy to do with people that you follow from afar. Which is why we have to be extra careful about them. You won't be able to know them as well as you probably should for someone you'd allow to deeply influence you. So be careful. But inasmuch as we observe Christlikeness and the fruit of the Spirit, then we have reason to trust them to be true, not false, and trustworthy. That's what Jesus is saying. We can consider them safe to follow as they follow Christ. But whenever bad fruit does come out, we have to be ready to distance ourselves and escape their influence. Now, we don't just cancel someone mercilessly. That's not the way of Jesus. And we definitely aren't meant to hate someone, even a false teacher. But at the same time, if there is legitimate bad fruit that becomes evident, and especially if there is no true repentance over it, then we can and should cancel their influence over our own lives. We have to. One last question here is, what bad fruit spe- specifically should we be on the lookout for? Well, if you look at the Bible, one of the biggest features of false prophets in the Old Testament was a false optimism. They were denying that God is a God of judgment who will judge sin and evil one day, or claiming that there was peace and everything was all right when it really wasn't, or calling everything good, even evil things, so there's an inappropriate tolerance. These are the false prophets in the Old Testament. Like the, the true prophet Jeremiah warned, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. That sounds like today, right? There are plenty of people who teach that today, giving a false sense of security. In the New Testament, the primary form of false teaching was corruption of the gospel, corruption of the good news of Jesus. If the the life, death, and resurrection of Christ are minimized or compromised, watch out. The where... So those are some of of the kinds of fruit that you're looking for in their teaching or their doctrine. What about their character? What do we look for? Well, if we use the fruit of the spirit from Galatians 5 to identify good character, how about we use the works or the fruit of the flesh from Galatians 5 to as well here? It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like... These. That's good things to look for. Or we may start to see contradictions between their life and the way, Jesus' way of life. Like think through the opposites of the Beatitudes, for example. Maybe instead of being poor in spirit, they are, they're self-sufficient, or they don't mourn their sin, or they're prideful, or they don't pursue righteousness, or they're unmerciful, or they're impure in heart, or they create strife, not peace. Or maybe like the Pharisees, they flaunt their righteousness for all to see. Or maybe they're extremely judgmental or censorious of others or hypocritical, ignoring their own sins while harping on others. When we see these kinds of things in someone's life, they're warning lights. Pay attention. What's going on? Beware. J.C. Ryle says, that sound doctrine and holy living are the marks of true prophets. Sound doctrine and holy living. One or the other isn't good enough for godly leaders. So, in a world that's full of wolves, you want to know who you can trust? Look for the spiritual fruit. What's growing in their lives? The fruit of people's lives reveals who is or is not safe to trust. However, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes the one you can't trust as safe is yourself. And so we move, as Jesus does here, from the danger of being deceived by others to the danger of being deceived by ourselves. Now, we might hear in verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And think, is, is this saying that our fruit, our works, and our character will determine whether or not we're saved? Is this, it sounds a bit like salvation by works. Hey, you're supposed to be discerning. That's good. But this is Jesus talking. <laughs> right? and, and no, this is not salvation by works. The trees here are good or bad before they bear fruit. The fruit is simply the evidence of the condition of their heart. In verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So if they are saved and thus healthy, they will inevitably bear good fruit. And if they are not and thus still diseased, they will inevitably bear bad fruit. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains that the message here is not to emphasize works at the expense of belief. It is something much more serious than that. It is rather to open our eyes to the terrible danger of self-deception and self-delusion. And that becomes all the more evident in the next set of verses, where Jesus talks about how only those who do God's will will enter the kingdom. Look with me. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, Our Lord is emphasizing once more that nothing avails in the presence of God but true righteousness, true holiness, the holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And if our idea of justification by faith does not include that, it is not the scriptural teaching. It is a dangerous delusion. Whatever we may say or do, we cannot stand in the presence of God if we are not truly righteous and holy. He is showing us once more what true faith really means. So, no, our works don't save us, but they will reveal whether or not we are saved. Here's the point. The fruit of people's lives will reveal who is truly saved. The fruit of people's lives, yours and mine, will reveal who is truly saved. Some people have called this the scariest passage in all of Scripture. Look again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Maybe this is so familiar to you that it doesn't scare you. Maybe it terrifies you. Justin Dillahay says, it's frightening to think about going to hell. It's even more frightening to find out too late you're going to hell when you thought you were going to heaven and still more frightening to think that not just a few, but many will have this experience. These are not easy words to hear. Not easy to accept. If this were anyone but Jesus saying this, we'd have issues. But it is our Lord Jesus, himself who says them. Our gentle, lowly, tender shepherd. And therefore, we must take them to heart. I firmly believe, however, that this passage should not scare true believers. It may, but it shouldn't. Because if you truly believe in Christ... If you truly love him and follow him, you absolutely will do the will of our Father in heaven. Albeit imperfectly for now. You will do this. Because Jesus perfectly did the will of his Father in heaven. And died for all of your sins. And you are united to him and clothed in His righteousness and holiness. So not only are you holy in God's sight, but with the Holy Spirit inside of you, good fruit is inevitable. So you don't need to be afraid of Jesus' words here. They're not meant for true believers. However, however, some of you really need to ask today if that does describe you. Because one thing that's crystal clear here is that it is possible to make a false profession of faith in Jesus. That's what saying Lord, Lord really means. It's a profession of faith. It's verbally confessing him as Lord, Jesus as Lord with your mouth. And Lord, Lord sounds good. Right? It's, it's polite, it's accurate, it's orthodox, it's enthusiastic, it's public, and truthfully, it is good. Right? Everyone should say, Lord, Lord, confess Him. That's good. But it's not just some correct password to get to know to get into heaven one day. Evidently, many will claim Jesus as Lord and yet not follow him as Lord in their heart. What they say with their mouth does not match what they believe in their heart. They will say they believe in Jesus, but they do not really live for Jesus. Their verbal profession will only be camouflaged for disobedience. An intellectual assent or talk without truth will save no one and this means that some people think they're christians but dreadfully they're not and i know this is heavy today but we have to feel the weight of what jesus is saying could that be you Are you certain of where you stand? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. If you are self-deceived, it likely means you're relying on some false evidence of salvation. Maybe you asked Jesus in your heart when you were younger, and that's enough. That was all you needed to do. Or you got baptized at some point, and you think that sealed the deal. Or you've been part of the church for years, for life even. That's got to count, right? Listen, all of that is rubbish if you don't truly know Jesus as Lord of your life. You could even be a leader in church an elder, a small group leader, a Sunday school teacher doing ministry, and one day you could point to a portfolio of things that you did in Jesus' name. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? Like sometimes your works may even be supernaturally spectacular, but it won't matter because you tricked yourself into thinking that you were saved. When you thought you were doing good, you were working evil. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I spoke with someone recently who told me he was this person. And for years, saying, Lord, Lord, active in church, in our church, active in ministry and from all appearances a good person. One day God opened his eyes softened his heart and he realized he was not. He had been self-deceived and he desperately needed Jesus to change his heart. I am certain there are others of you like that listening to me right now. I don't want to stir up fear of you not being assured of your faith today. You may think that's what I'm after. I'm not after that. I don't want you to be unassured of your faith. I want to build up confidence that you have come to Jesus and that he is your Lord. Don't take any chances with this. renounce your confidence in yourself today and put every ounce of confidence in Christ who is Lord. He died for your sins, so you need not flounder in them or fear hell for them any longer. He rose to give you life. So you need no longer be hopeless or joyless or anxious about this life. He is coming back again. And when he does, will he find true faith on the earth? I want you to, if you want to do the Father's will, you will first and foremost enter through the narrow gate that is Jesus, surrendering your entire life to the lordship of Christ and the way of Jesus. And if you do, you will enter the kingdom of God one day, the kingdom of heaven. In a sense, you enter the kingdom even now as Jesus becomes your king. And when you truly do this, not in pretense, not in pressure from others when you truly come to Jesus your life will never be the same guaranteed like if you came to Christ once but nothing really changed about you maybe you didn't really come but you can come today acknowledge him Follow him as Lord. Like if you hear this and you feel condemned by this passage, confess that to the Lord. Right? Turn away from your sins. Once and for all, expose them to his light. Turn to Christ as Savior and Lord today. And if you want to do that, whether you're brand new or I've known you for years, I would love to help you with that. Turn to Jesus. Please come talk to me. I'd love to discuss or, or pray with you. But the point is, listen, you can't just give Jesus your devotion today. You have to give him your life. Are you willing to do that? Have you done that? And if so, praise the Lord for his grace in your life. Some of you are still afraid. You're worried about whether or not Jesus is really your Lord. I love what Justin Dillehay, how he responds to our worries here. He says, when reading this passage, it can be tempting to throw up our hands. Who then can know if they'll be saved? It sure seems like a huge gamble. You do your best to follow Jesus, but who knows whether you'll get smacked down at the end. But that's not Jesus' goal here. He's not trying to confuse us or rob us of assurance. True, he doesn't want us to be deceived, but neither does he want us to live in terror or uncertainty about our final state. That's Jesus. He doesn't want us to be in uncertainty or terror. Those who do do the will of the Father in heaven are those who follow what Jesus taught. It's those of us who, in summary, do to others as we would have them do to us. Those who have an inner, deeper righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, a righteousness that we can only truly practice once we're born again. So if you've been born again, you have the Holy Spirit. Like like When you hear Jesus' demands, they may at first seem lofty or unattainable, but they're not. His life is freely offered to us. The narrow gate is open to us. And once we enter the kingdom through him, he promises that we will be blessed forever. We will hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we will be satisfied. And many of you, you'll know in your heart that's you. You you long for Jesus. And you're following after him. So Justin Dillehay says, for the true Christian, The question is not, am I perfect? Christ's imputed righteousness has already met that need. But do I know Jesus? Or better still, does Jesus know me? Because notice who the primary knower is in verse 23. It says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, if you're like me, you may have been reading that verse as Jesus saying, Depart from me because you never knew me. I think that's a common assumption. But Jesus actually says, I never knew you. It makes a world of difference. In Dillehay's post on this topic, he recalled a powerful scene from C.S. Lewis's Narnia series. In the Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, Edmund is talking to his cousin Eustace. And Eustace is, is new to the world of Narnia, and he's quite concerned about this Aslan figure that he keeps hearing about, who, if you know, is the Christ figure in the story. As Edmund recounts his experiences with Aslan, Eustace asks him, but, but who is Aslan? Like, Do you know him? And then Edmund responds... Well, he knows me. He knows me. He is the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, who saved me and saved Narnia. So did Edmund know Aslan? Of course he did. But that paled in comparison to being known by Aslan. Aslan had loved him, before he loved him back. Aslan had died for him. He knew Aslan only because Aslan first knew him. And so it is for us with Jesus. Do I know him? Well, he knows me. I know he knows me because of what he's done for me. He's opened my eyes to that and I love him for that. And I now live for him, growing in maturity in him to bear good fruit. Do the Father's will. So on the, the day that he returns and judges the earth, I don't need to fear being sent away. Because we already know one another. And that relationship will only be wondrously amplified in eternity. This is a a firm foundation on which we can stand with confidence even now. As the word of the Lord says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Naming the name of the Lord, a true confession, departing from iniquity, a holy life. True confession and a holy life. Nothing else will do. So thank the Lord that when he knows us, we will follow after his ways. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, wherever you know there is true faith this morning in your children, would you not cast doubt on that, but fill us with assurance of how much you love us, how you know us now. May we be blown away by your grace to us. And wherever you know that things are false, would you expose that in people's hearts today? Would you lead them to repentance in your kindness? May we experience your mercy once again this morning.